What's this? What's this? There's movies everywhere. What's this? There's white things in the air. What's this? I can't believe my eyes. I must be dreaming. Like, I'm just reading the lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> I had one line about you had movies. One line, you had one line planned, and then you... I thought, I, thought I could improv it. I trusted you. <laughs> to improv the rest, and this, then I just started reading. <laughs> the score is now one-to-one for us letting each other down yeah. with our poorly conceived intros. Ah, man, that's the... That's the BB Sam can way, I, isn't Can I it? fix it with, what's this, the streets are lined? I'm still reading it. <laughs> I can't improv it. I had the one funny line about movies. It wasn't even could, funny, honestly. It was just, well, it was a switcheroo. Yeah, it... <laughs> oh my God. And then I thought I could, like, succeed from there. But then I realized, like... The beat is, what's this? What's this? That's like way too quick in your head yeah. to like also be to like, improv. think of the, the lyrics and then like think of, okay, I've already said movies. I gotta get cinema in there right. somewhere. It's it's, it's uh, walking and chewing gum at the same yeah, time. Like, ben and Bran should probably be mentioned somewhere in this. <laughs> There's Ben and Bran walking everywhere. The premise was good. Uh, the but execution. The, yeah, the if, execution. You, you certainly executed it. I executed it. Uh, in. <laughs> In a very gruesome way. Yeah, in a World War II Which, you know uh, Russian style. is kind of on theme for it this is very film. on theme for us. <laughs> and well, us. Yeah, yeah and, and us. us. Executing <laughs> stuff that doesn't deserve to be. <laughs> Welcome back to Ben and Bran See a Movie. Yes, I'm Ben. I'm Bran. And? This is Ben and Bran See a Movie. Repetitive. We yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> we want to make sure that you heard it. If you didn't hear it the first time, you definitely heard it the second time. Yeah. Uh, this is the first week of what we are calling, and we did plan this way in advance, so we kept our promise from last uh, last month. This is the first week of... December schedule. No! <laughs> this is the first week of Christmas? Christmas? And the whole premise of that is it is Christmas with a question mark after it. And all of December, well... Kind of. Up until... The first four weeks. Yeah, the first four all... weeks of December before Christmas actually happens, we are talking about movies that there at least is some debate about whether or not they are actually Christmas movies. Yeah, and I know we said last week, but let's run through that list again. The first one we have... The first one we have is this one, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm -hmm. Next week we have It's a Wonderful Life. The week after that we have Die Hard. And then the week after that is Home Alone. Yes, and then we will round off uh, the... The Christmas season with a Christmas story, which is, I would say, definitively a Christmas movie. I don't Christmas think there's movie. any argument that a Christmas story is not a Christmas I movie. I don't. I don't know if you could. Yeah, I don't think you could argue that a movie with Christmas in the title is not a Christmas. Well, movie. that's interesting because th isn't that the debate today? It, oh, it's the nightmare before Christmas. Oh, you're so right. You're yeah. so right. I'm ben. so smart. That's a very good point. But uh, yeah, so, so we're doing that for the first four weeks. We have a Christmas story dropping on Christmas Day. We will not be recording it on Christmas yeah, Eve. Yeah, we're we recording it Christmas Eve Eve. <laughs> the <laughs> night know. before the night before Christmas. Yeah, I don't know actually when we're recording it, but it will drop. It will be our Christmas present to everybody. <laughs> so you can enjoy uh, when you're unwrapping your gifts, make sure to put on Ben and Brancy movie <laughs> with the family. Yeah, We're going to make sure nothing, this week is family Nothing friendly. ties the holiday season together like two 25-year-olds talking about movies. How old are we? 20. Are you 25? No. <laughs> Why did I say that? I'm 24. I'm like, I'm 23. <laughs> 
I'm two, like, I'm about to turn 24 in like a month. What says Christmas more than two 20-somethings <laughs> talking about movies while you're unwrapping presents? I was really confused. Surrounded by your loved ones. I'm like, are you 25? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I didn't think you were that much older than me. Yeah, I, we were trying... <laughs> I don't know. This this podcast is melting my brain to some I know, degree. Apparently. So yes, again, this week we are talking about the Nightmare Before Christmas, which is apparently the. also known as Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. So I guess this was something that Tim Burton like woke up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night and was like frightened of this concept. Then he was like, "I'm gonna make this a movie." Yeah, and clarify because I made this mistake on my Instagram. I thought it was a nightmare before Christmas. Mm-hmm. It's the nightmare before Christmas. Yes, the nightmare. The before. nightmare before Christmas. Yes, it and needs it needs the correct article in yeah. front. Otherwise, and it's a it's it's an imitator. Well, well, how do you tell it's the real movie? Oh yeah, I guess someone else could just as easily put the in their ripoff. Yeah. And Dang. Yeah. Or yeah, it's like the well, sequel. Like I think wasn't there a sequel that did for this movie? No, not for this movie. Say, but I mean like. How fast and furious is the first one is the fast and the furious, and then the fourth one is fast and furious. Yeah, they keep <laughs> they keep yeah, that's a good point. They keep losing words for yeah. fast and furious. Or it's, add sometimes. Yeah, well they did So it's I'll run down the list because why well, not? Well the most recent is fast nine. No, F nine. Oh <laughs> it's F nine. So it's not even here. I'll, not even I'll, I'll run now. through it. I'll run through it. It okay. is the fast and the furious, true fast, true furious. Fast and Furious, Tokyo Drift, Fast and Furious, Fast, Fast five, 5, Furious 6, Fast 7, The Fate of the Furious, <laughs> The Fast and Furious Presents, Hobbs and Shaw, and oh finally gosh. F9. F9. <laughs> so the most recent isn't even a word. It's just a letter and a number. Yes. They're making it easier for Vin Diesel to talk about impressed junkets. Yeah, okay. So the most recent movie is... Uh, is it Fast 7? F9. I think it's Fast 7. Is it a fighter jet now? The, no, F9? apparently it's called Fast and Furious 7. No, it's called Furious 7. Never mind. It's called Furious 7, which is the sequel to Furious 6 and the sequel to Fast 5. Here's a question. But... Why are we talking about this? Well, get ready. <laughs> so the do you okay. know the chronological order of... The, the way to correctly watch the Fast and Furious franchise? No. It, uh, prior question to how you explain this. Will this be the last time we talk about Fast and Furious well, this episode? For this episode, sure. Okay. Uh, so Go, please tell us the correct one. It obviously order. starts with the first one, which is The Fast and the Furious. Then right. we jump over to Origin. Too Fast, Too Furious. Okay. Then, Makes sense so far. Then we jump over to Fast and Furious, which is the fourth installment. Okay. We get Fast Five, and then we go back to three, and it's Fast and Furious Three, Tokyo Drifts, which then the end scene happens conjointly with the events of Furious Six, which then leads into the post credit scene. There's a scene directly from Furious Six that ties into Tokyo Drift. So now we're at Furious 7, which is the direct sequel to Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. Then we're in Fast 8, and then we're in Fast 9. And if I'm correct, Hobbs and Shaw takes place after the events of Fast 9. So I'm going to be totally honest with you. My mind straight up just started hearing static 
after you explain Tokyo Drift. Yeah, I know. It's really weird. So the third one doesn't actually happen until the events after the sixth movie. When Vin, and it's weird because Vin Diesel is... Uh, no, sorry. I forgot. Vin Diesel has a post credit scene at the end of the third movie because he's not in that movie at all until the very end because like at that point it was like close to straight to DVD. So they just put him in as a post credit to then tease Fast and Furious. And don't even get me started on the 25-minute... Oh, believe me, uh, short, I won't. <laughs> the short film that follows Fast and Furious 4. <laughs> I am no, not going to. Sorry, sorry. It follows Fast oh, damn it. and Furious 2 because it's the prequel to Fast and Furious, which, again, is the fourth <laughs> film. So for our listeners... <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when there was like a point? I think it was when Fast 9 was coming out. Shut up! No, hang on. This one's a valid point. Do you remember there was a point where I'm like, oh yeah, like we should like review one of like probably one of the more recent Fast and Furious films for the podcast? Like compare the first one to like the eighth installment for you to try to like figure out like what the heck is Or I try to figure out the narrative. And then I like thought about it. I'm like, there's no way this doesn't like even comes close to making sense. Uh, yeah, I, that's. I do remember. I do remember you. Bringing we had like that a up. full thing. We're like, okay, we're gonna do Fast and Furious. Honestly, and Fast Eight, like the same week. And then I'm like, you haven't seen any of them. We're just gonna go for it and see what happens. Honestly, and then I'm like, this isn't gonna be good. Honestly, it's not gonna make any I, I kind of still love that idea. That's so. That's so silly because you've seen them all, correct? Yes. I it would be pretty funny I think of me like trying to limp my way through figuring out what the overarching narrative is. I just thought it was nine different crazy adventures that a bunch of family goes on in fancy cars and probably destroys said fancy cars a lot. There are a lot of explosions yeah. and guns and cars and and uh boobage. Yeah. And butts. Yeah. Fair enough. And uh, and baby oiled up pecs. One of, of my favorite jokes of muscular dudes I've ever heard is like they were doing this like movie debate, but the idea was to pitch the six cars sequel. But this was before Cars Three had come out, so you had to infer Cars what, Three. Yeah, so you had to infer what the product of three through five would be, and oh, then for just Fast go for Furious. the six. No, for Cars. Like the animated, like, like the Pixar, like the Pixar's. So you had Cars One and Cars Two to work out, and then everybody had to like, ass- like come up with their own conclusions on the three fifth, oh and they gosh. had to pitch the continuing sequel to this. <laughs> so you know they have all these guys. Like one guy goes like the Mad Max route with it, where they're now Mad Max Cars, <laughs> Cars Mad Max. Oh my! Or gosh. I think they call it Cars Fury Road. Oh, that would actually be kind of dope. But I like, want to see someone composite cars yeah. footage into Fury Road. That's going to be a great debate. <laughs> what a lovely day! And there's just Chick Hicks like. Yeah. That's going to be a great debate question for you one day. So we're like. I for pitch sure. you the like ninth installment of a franchise that's like only on its third. Oh, that's kind of genius. <laughs> I kind of love that. Yeah, that's great. All but right. Anyway, we're into and we're talking the Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, the most disjointed way to get back into yeah, the movie back. that we're talking about. I don't know if I could come up with two movies that are farther apart. Like the Venn diagram for those movies is those two circles are in like different zip codes. They yes. speak different languages. Can before we go to, I actually should have probably skipped the Fast and Furious talk because there was a real question i meant to ask you okay because it's really movie related okay how do you consume movies like do you do it all digital is it streaming do you still do you still oh, buy dvds pretty frequently that's a good question i consume them by uh crunching down on the dvd covers yeah. and just 
Mm. Um, A joke worthy of our friend Jake Hansen. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think a lot of the movies that I watch now, a lot of them are on streaming services. Okay. Um, which is which is interesting. I mean, it's we have a DVD player, but we don't mm. have that many DVDs. Okay. And like. If I want to watch those movies, I will certainly watch them. I think the ones that I've got on DVD are like Iron Giant, which mm. we use to watch Iron Giant. Yeah. Um, those ones that you kind of had when you grew up buying them. Yeah. I yeah. I think every every Christmas for a while, we would each get, like me and my siblings would each get a movie in our stockings mm. or something like See, that. See, my whole like Christmas tree was just movies under. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I asked for movies every year. But the reason <laughs> I'm asking this. Is one okay? What was the last movie you bought on DVD? Do you remember or Blu-ray or anything? Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. Um, oh man, I the the last movie that I got on DVD, I feel like it was Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Oh I, really? Like I think so, which is hilarious because I got it and then like two months later it was on Netflix. Uh huh. So I was like, well, I mean, I got the bonus features. Yeah. So, that's so cool. see, because I still consume mine. I do it all. I have, I try now to stay digital just because it's too convenient. So my iTunes collection is like huge. Yeah. You have a massive iTunes. Yeah. Because that's where I collect everything is on my iTunes now. Mm-hmm. However, I still do DVDs and Blu-rays. Like, for instance, last week, Black Friday, I bought like, I think, two or three DVDs mm-hmm. or Blu-rays, I should say, specifically. Mm-hmm. And I only, for Blu-rays, I have a certain rule now. I only buy the ones that have the digital codes. Oh, so for like Voodoo or Movies Yeah, so I can put them on my iTunes. That's a good, that's a good strategy. Like, that's the only way. I, which is funny because I end up buying them and then I just end up watching them on my iTunes. I never, I barely pop in a Blu-ray. I, the last one I did was I bought Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, mm-hmm. which came out earlier this year, just mm-hmm. because, like, I think it was on sale at Best Buy for, like, six. Yeah. So I just grabbed it, and then I'm like, ah, I don't want to... I hadn't downloaded the code yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the well, reason... I mean, it's, I, it's, it's yeah. sort of the same thing with Spotify, how this is, like, barely a movie podcast at this yeah. point. It's just an interesting talk about yeah. the state of entertainment. Yeah. But it's like Spotify now, where it's, like, not many people are buying physical albums, or not many people are buying physical movies... Because you can get everything digitally, it's like why spend why spend ten bucks for an album where you might not like everything on it mm-hmm. when you can when you can to it yeah when you get for free. eight yeah eight ninety nine a month for Spotify Premium and yeah. you can basically build your own thing. I, know, that being said, I still I I, I know you I kind records. of co opted this a little bit. Brenna more so than me. Yeah, and a lot I of collect. Her, I collect it. I don't do it as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Records. A lot of her collection is. Stuff like Taylor Swift and Ed Sheeran. I've gotten her a couple, like Harry Styles and that mm. sort of thing. Um, I, can, I I've, yeah. I'll find like weird records here and there. Like I found like a local band from Santa Rosa on record, and it was like uh, an album that had like one of my favorite songs of theirs on I it. Have so I was like, the Ooh. eight inch version of "Boom Shake the Room" by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Oh, that's wow. a pretty cool one. But th- I think all, I have Hotel California. I, I can confirm the last. Uh, album I bought was uh, Sour by Olivia Rodrigo. I have it on CD in my oh, car. Yeah, um, dude, you, n- Olivia Rodrigo was your number one artist. This. Oh yeah, I love. Oh, her. I okay. 
again, this is another this is another okay, tangent. I, I promise after this. No, then I have to go back to what I my original question for you was. Okay. Actually, let's just do that let's and then do go. That. Yeah. Okay. The reason I asked this of you is how you consume is because there was something that came out uh, last weekend that really interested me, mm-hmm. and it's HBO Max changed the Birds of Prey uh, Emancipation of Harley Quinn to oh. make it PG-13 on HBO Max. Interesting. Instead of, instead instead of, of R. R. Interesting. So they edited out a lot of the crude, like, bad words. They took out a lot of the blood and violence. Interesting. And the reason I think that movie works a lot, I think that movie's crazy fun, uh, and it lives up to its R rating. Like, it is a bloody, violent movie, like, mm-hmm. very much in the style of, like, a comedic John Wick at times. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, the reason I was asking that, because it always draws this debate of, like, this is always the argument people have towards streaming. It's like, I prefer to own it because now I know, like, the movie will never be tampered with if I own it. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. Um, I didn't know if you how you felt about that or yeah, if, like, it was I, even something you really noticed. That's, that's something that I wasn't even considering. Like, I know that that's a thing. Mm-hmm. I, I know that albums have had, like re-releases and even podcasts that I've listened to have been like re-edited with like updated information with which that I like it works for a podcast but yeah with a movie um it's sort of like it's sort of like that argument with game here's another angle of entertainment that I'm roping into this conversation um with games a lot of time like video games the, oh, and they the do day, the re-releases? Yeah, the day one patch has become sort of an industry standard where they'll release a game, they know it's not done, and then the fir- within the first day that the game has been released, Company X will release, like, a, a two-gigabyte... Patch. Yeah, a two-gigabyte patch file that fixes all of these day one glitches. And it's like, well, why didn't you, you just... just wait. Why didn't you just fix that before if you knew they were problems... I think the difference with this it just seems it, it, with stuff like that it can just kind of seem disingenuous and I think like the the standard consumer will think oh I'm I'm getting like I'm being given the runaround I'm being played for a fool. Here's why I don't like it and there was an easy way to fix this. If you wanted to edit out a version that made it PG-13 like they do for TV, I actually don't have a problem with that. Yeah. Like, as long as you keep the original R-rated right. one. Yeah. I don't understand why they would just remove the R-rated one off uh, HBO Max. Yeah, I think it's a super, bad idea. Yeah, I, that's super weird. Yeah. But anyway, that's why I, I saw it earlier this week, and I'm like, oh, I definitely want to talk about that briefly. Because, like I said, that's why I don't cons- I don't buy Blu-rays for that reason. Mm-hmm. But it is always kind of something I'm... I always kind of have in the back of my mind where, like, if I'm going through my DVD collection and giving rid of, getting rid of some, there are some that I'll keep either for the content in them, like the special features or whatever, or just because I'm like, ah, this one's hard to find or I don't know if I'm going to ever be able to, like, find it in this format again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a great... That's, that's why a, I have my Lord of the Rings, the DVDs, like the... the on your complete box set. <laughs> yeah, but, like, not the... It's like those extended, extended yeah. editions, like those thick boys. Peter Jackson's like, full vision. Yeah, like the 15-hour like <laughs> movies with the special effects and like the commentary and all that. I keep those just because I'm like, might as well have them. Yeah, yeah. If you already got it, like, yeah. why not just preserve that thing? Yeah. Um, okay, last thing before we actually get into this movie. I don't know how long we'll talk about this movie because there is it's some stuff to talk movie, about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Spotify Wrapped yeah. launched. 
first of all, I saw quite a few folks that <laughs> have listened to our podcast uh, quite a bit. Thank you, thank guys. You, thank you. Uh, I know Jalal was one. It was this was his number one podcast. Thank I you, thank you to our number one. Fans. Never would have guessed that this would be someone's number one. Can podcast. I tell you the truth? It was not. It was my top three. It was in my top three as I'm well. Like, I was so like annoyed at myself. I'm like, I didn't even get mine to the top. I know. I was so embarrassed. I didn't even post it on my actual Instagram story. Yeah, I, I know. Po- I, I just posted it. it on my close friend because I was like, hey, I guys. hit it. And I'm just like, I'm like, it was the mismatch was as a basketball podcast. And then Bill Simmons show, which is also a, a basketball podcast. <laughs> and the amount of time I had listened to them compared to like listening to my own yeah it's kind of shock and i don't actually listen to our podcast almost ever mm-hmm. but i will go back to listen to certain things just to kind of get notes either when we're in editing or coming up with ideas yeah i I'll usually go through it like i try to listen to all of our episodes at least halfway at least through once i i listen to them just to like make little mental notes about audio like last week um i made a note about like the microphone's pickup pattern or something like yeah, that. And, and I was I like, okay, notes, we won't do that again. I make notes about what I don't like saying and do like saying. Like the phrases that I notice I have on repeat. Mm-hmm. There's a word juxtaposition. Yeah. But then I like I was looking it up at work today and I was like desperately trying to find any other word that like had the same effect as juxtapose. And besides contrast, it, yeah. there really isn't a good word that quite means the same effect as juxtapose. It's a good word. Yeah. But, um, so anyway, but those yeah, are why. I, yeah. I was listening to our last Jedi today specifically pulling stuff like mm-hmm. I said that phrase too much. Right. Um, I say um too much. Yeah. Uh, so Jalal, thanks for listening. Uh, Justin, you know who you are. Thanks for listening, bud. He sent me uh, just like a, a DM on Instagram with the two screenshots where it was like he listened to our podcast and I was like, I love you. Yeah. He's a good friend of ours. Yeah. Uh, so thanks for listening, you guys. It's, we appreciate it. It's Even always <laughs> really cool when yeah. you, we go on our like data analysis, like mm-hmm. when we're going through our analytics for the show. Yeah. And we have like we can tell the people that we know who are listening, right? Because like, either they'll text us or we're like friends with them and they'll tell us. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting now seeing the ones who have since like close to a year where we're now having random audience people that we've never like met you guys out there who are just like, we have like, dude, we're like really popular in Canada. (laughs) We've got like some like, Canada's numbers have like shot up these past like two or three months. Yeah, there were a couple people, there were quite a few new people when when we post stuff on Reddit, especially with the Disaster Artist The Room episode. We have some from, I know, Sweden, Germany listening to us. I think we have an Australian. We have a lot of people on the East Coast. I don't know how consistent they are, but if you're out there, thanks. Yeah, we like I said, it's really cool to be like, not just like airing to our friends. Yeah. Like it is like really cool. Like obviously we love doing that too. It is really cool because obviously you and I want to build something more of it, which means we have to go more global. Right. With it. Yeah. I, we want to, we want to take it like at least semi-seriously where we're, you know, we're growing. having, we want to, we want to make sure that we're like adding something to the conversation about. Yeah. We legitimately films. like doing this and we want to see ourselves keep growing, yeah, it's, like going up in numbers. And that's literally, we, we've only been in a positive trend for yeah, these past few months, yeah, which is really cool. Fun, we think it's fun guys. to do. And I'll just right. do my plug right now for that. It always helps, guys. We say it, but it's like it's really what we need. 
Like, comment, subscribe. <laughs> yeah. It helps us so much. You don't I, even understand. I'm running how much out of like us. meme things to add on to that. Like post on our MySpace. Yeah. Oh, it's another social yeah. media. It's because it's not a joke. It's yeah. like we legit like add it helps your us. likes on SoundCloud. Yeah. I don't know. It legit helps us like so much. Mm-hmm. Absolutely it does. Alright, enough of that crap. Yeah. Now let's get into the the what's it called? How do you say it? It's like What's movie? The, no, there's that <laughs> phrase that the Thanksgiving phrase where it's like, oh, you've had enough of the gravy, so now let's get into like the turkey of it all. Oh, the, do you know what I'm trying I, to the say? The meat and potatoes. The meat and potatoes. Yeah, that's it. let's get into let's the meat, meat and potatoes. potatoes today. All right, we're talking about the nightmare before Christmas. In case you forgot, after all our rambling, so this is a 1993 American stop motion animated musical dark fantasy holiday film. <laughs> That's that's literally what Wikipedia says. This is why we need to start stop like we need to prep our notes before. Yeah, I know. We Remember really when do. we used to take notes so we could just like briefly hit it instead of just reading. With yeah, we'll be, when we when we were like this, fully serious um, six months ago. Yeah, now yeah, we're just was, like let's just fuck. This was directed like uh, <laughs> this was directed by Henry Selick. This was his directorial debut. Is that true? Apparently, I did not uh, know that. And this was produced by Tim Burton. Tells the story of Jack Skellington, who is the uh, pumpkin king in Halloween Town, uh, who stumbles upon Christmas Town and maybe wonders if there's something beyond this Halloween Town, this mundanity that he's kind of grown accustomed to. Uh, Danny Elfman is the composer behind all of the musical, uh, the musical aspects, the original songs, the score, and he also did the singing voice for Jack. Yeah, Jack uh, Skeleton. Yes, the other the other members of the cast include Chris Sarandon, who is the speaking voice of Jack, Catherine O'Hara as Sally, William Hickey, Ken Page, Paul Rubens, Glenn Shaddix, that's a cool name, and Ed Ivory. Uh, so I think it, it was based on, the last little bit, based on Poem by yeah. Tim Burton, which I think was a, a short story. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's what we've that's what we've got for Nightmare Before Christmas. Do you want me to tell the budget in the box office? No, that's fine. But I think what's so cool about this is like this was a film with a relatively moderate, uh, what's it called? Budget. Budget. Twenty four million. Twenty four million that ends up grossing less than a hundred million, but mm-hmm. ends up kind of just becoming like one of the most culturally phenomenon of animation like movies of all time yeah like, it's still one of those it's still one of those movies that everyone talks about it's still I, one of those things that's like you always see merchandise for it in the hot topics and the box lunch stores a, it's at disneyland for basically from september to january yeah it dominates disneyland yeah you've you're I'm wearing, wearing my oogie boogie sweater from when i went to disneyland yeah. haunted mansion is let's boogie yeah haunted mansion is uh Halloween Town, Nightmare Before Christmas themed. Like, this movie is, like, so crazy iconic now. Which, like, I'm not saying, like, a bunch of Disney movies aren't. Disney has done a really good job with taking their animation and making a part of the pop culture lexicon. Mm -hmm. This one in particular even feels like it goes even further above it. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, of that era, of that same time, you have Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin comes out. Mulan, Hercules, they're all kind of in this 90s run. I know there's probably more than freaking Tarzan, but really, like, of that early 90s, you're really talking about Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, Lion King. Those are, like, the big ones of that time. This is Disney, and it's in that same, like, lexicon, but in some ways it's even more iconic than 
a few of those films. I it's, would argue, like, while Beauty and the Beast is probably the more critically loved film, mm-hmm. and there are definitely iconic characters in that movie, it's hard to say one character is maybe more iconic than Jack Skeleton. Yeah. Like, yeah. Jack Skeleton is truly, when you think Jack of, like... Jack Skellington. Yes, Skellington. Like, pronounced like Viago. Yeah, <laughs> Skellington. I'm going to say Skeleton. It's going <laughs> to be too fine. hard. But it's interesting, like, how many, like, animated characters do you really think have the popularity lexicon of a Jack? Like, yeah, I'm, and, like, such, Mickey a, and Mouse such a and, seasonal strength yeah. as well. Bugs Bunny, Mickey Mouse, of course they're there, but they're, like kind of the pillars of those respective franchises. I'm talking about just for a movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it's hard to think. Like, you probably have Peter Pan on there. You uh, probably have maybe Simba. Some of those, like, really classic Disney mm-hmm. characters. I'm sure Warner Brothers is having some that I'm missing out on Snow White. Yeah. Maleficent. But there are, like, just some where it's just, like, and I think it's a lot based on the style of drawing and how they're animated. Yeah. That it like sticks with you and it leaves that impression. Yeah, I and heard, it's an iconic look. I heard I heard a really cool thing. I here's a we're gonna mention them a lot this episode, at least I am. Corridor again. Corridor digital, corridor crew. I I we love you guys. I've you guys been, are the best. I've been I've been binge watching so much corridor crew. I watch stuff. them every Saturday the notice drops, I think, at nine AM for my mm-hmm. uh, phone. Uh, watch, usually so, watch it then. So they have a, they have a series called Animators React, and they've had uh, I believe his name is Eric Koenig, uh, or Koenig. He he worked on the Simpsons, and he's worked on uh, uh, oh, what's that movie about the cats with uh, it was like a Warner Brothers movie in the nineties movie with the cats that was Warner Brothers. It, it's a it's a smaller it was a smaller movie smaller budget. Uh, he, he's worked. He's like a huge, huge in the animation game, and he said something really cool about um, the about animation. It kind of ties into what you were saying about the recognizability of a character. Mm. It's like you can draw them really well, but it's the moments of kind of goofiness and insanity, and like the parts that are a little bit different than real life that really stick out. Yeah, um, it's it's when. When when you remember a character, you remember the this visual representation of a character. Right, almost. you remember you remember the most cartoony aspects of it. Like when I think about Bugs Bunny, for instance, I don't think about him just standing there. I think about him dropping an anvil on someone. Oh, see, or I was like thinking of the What's Up Doc, him chewing the. Right. Yeah. Parent. You think of you think of those little habits, and I this this film has it in spades, which which kind of leads into. Uh, are hills to die on, and I, I don't hill to die on, respectively, because you know the hill is such. That was the part that I was going to bring up real quick. Like when I'm talking visual representations, mm-hmm. for me, it's always those like moments of cinematography. Yeah, where you notice it, like where it's just like that's an image that's stuck in your mind mm-hmm. for that character. Like when I think Jack Skeleton. I think of him standing on that hill yeah, standing on with that the moon behind him. Yeah. Like, that, that to me is yeah, the maybe movie, one of the most iconic shots yeah, in animation. The movie poster. Yeah. Um, so, Hills to Die On. Here's here's my idea for this, uh, and I'm hoping that you'll like this. So, this I think this is going what, to be a... it a Christmas movie? Yes, yeah, exactly. Or even, even more, uh, is it a Christmas movie? And if so, to what degree and, like, why is it a Christmas movie? And you can kind of throw in some of your, um, you know, opinions about the movie in general as well. 
Do you want to go first? Sure. I will go first. Uh, so, my hill to die on for Nightmare Before... Or The Nightmare Before Christmas. It's not an imposter. Never duplicated. Uh, this movie has just so much artistry. It's it's up there, I think, in terms of just pure love for the medium, pure love for the craft, and just amazing create creativity and passion. Mm-hmm. It, it's like the same level for me as like the Miyazaki um, films and it, in terms of like just the artistry behind it and uh, you know movies like The Iron Giant for me that are like so ingrained in my soul and Spider-Verse you know there, there are like those certain movies that are just like keystones of animation mm-hmm. and there's so much time and effort like animating stop motion is not easy at all no like if you bump a camera you're that there goes your dailies yeah almost uh so this movie's creativity is awesome uh which kind of makes up for the lack of story that it has or lack of i would say uh not good story because it's it's a it's a fairly good story but there there's just some weight of it that's missing for me uh it's not to say I don't like it by any means. I just think the story is one of the weaker aspects of it. Uh, is it a Christmas movie? To some degree, I would argue yes. However, comma, I would say it is more of a Halloween movie. Because, okay. because Christmas isn't, isn't the main focus. It's more how is this this creature this how is jack skellington who really only knows halloween how is he sort of bastardizing christmas mm-hmm. he is turning it into a nightmare that's why it's mm-hmm. nightmare before christmas not you know that's why christmas isn't first in the title i would mm-hmm. say okay so let me get with my oh, i just had hill. a triple hiccup yes go ahead one mine is pretty simple I think of all the animated films that have ever been made. This one, it'd be hard to imagine this isn't in my top ten of all time animated and probably in my top five. De- definitely, I think it would. it's fair to say that it's in the top ten movies, like uh, an objective list. Yeah, I adore Tim Burton's in particular, that art style and sensibilities mm-hmm. that he brings to this movie yeah. and that he brings to a lot of his earlier filmmaking. If you're going by directors that have probably influenced me most as a person and as a creator, mm-hmm. it's Burton. I literally don't think there's many other directors who have quite shaped my art style, my love of the medium. And just how I look at movies and the aesthetics that I like. I think you can look at Burton and I can say this shot was iconic, whether it was Corpse Bride when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Like that was that movie. I drew scenes from it all the time. I just love the way the bones looked Mm -hmm. and the way the Corpse Bride was drawn. This movie is the same way for me. I just love the aesthetic of this film. The creature designs. Did you like Coraline too? I do like Coraline. Not as much as mm-hmm. I like Corpse Bride in this movie, mm-hmm. but I definitely respect a lot of what Coraline... Mm-hmm. It starts in that thing where it looks a little bit more animated than mm-hmm. maybe Corpse Bride in this movie do. But I just love the nature of this movie. And to the question of, is this a Christmas movie? Here is my argument for why it is a Christmas movie. Ooh. 
It is a Christmas movie because without Christmas, there's no driving force in this movie. Christmas is the driving force. Ooh, okay. And here's also, this is the weird one because my argument for the next few weeks is do I do I watch this movie only during the Christmas season? For this uh, movie, that's where it gets a little close. Right. Because I do start, it's kind of like the Disneyland thing where I can kind of start watching this movie September, October feeling. Like it is a fall, winter. Yeah, it's more, it's, yeah, it's sort of the, it's a holiday movie yeah. rather than just falling It feels more seasonal yeah. than it does like. It's not necessarily, I guess, so by that definition... Which gives it a lot of the only, staying power, I would It does. Argue. Oh, yeah, because it doesn't feel like it can only exist for one month, where there's other films that... I love Christmas Vacation, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Right, you, I you can't watch I only watch that during Christmas. Same with Elf. Yeah. Yeah, but exactly. This one, I like I said, just because the driving force of this story is so dependent on Christmas, it that's why it is a Christmas movie for me, as well as I think what... Burton captures so uh, magically in this movie is the joyous, joyous, oh my god, joyous mm-hmm. charm of Christmas for an adolescent. Mm-hmm. Jack is for the first time in seeing Christmas. Oh, it would be how one yeah, looks at Christmas when they're when he a first kid. enters Christmas. Town. Like there's something yeah. so magical to it that mm-hmm. I think. It's something Burton does great as a filmmaker. If you look at a lot of his films, Christmas is a backdrop for a lot of his films. Edward Scissorhands was one that came to my mind mm-hmm. particularly. He is able to, of course, bring his own sensibilities of, I think, the gothic horror. Yeah, very, uh, ma- very macabre. Ma- like, is it macabre or macabre? Do you pronounce the bruh? I don't think you pronounce the bruh, but I'm macabre. not sure. I think it's macabre. macabre. I'm looking it up, <laughs> but, but continue. He captures that like feeling of the gothic horror that he clearly grew up with, but also never makes it in a way that is too dark and dour for audiences not to appreciate it. Yes. I think there is so much charm, levity, moments of comedy, and just lightheartedness within this kind of eccentric world. Yeah, it walks this. It walks this very fine line between sort of light and funny and macabre. Hey, it macabre. does have the bruh in it. That's a bruh moment. Um, so it does walk this fine line between this lighthearted sort of goofiness and almost cuteness and this sort of weird, almost kind of gross macabre vibe. Yeah, it's, he, it's interesting. It's super weird. It puts he, you in this really engrossed. He doesn't go what other gothic horror filmmakers or artists are doing at that time, mm-hmm. where it's kind of they're going not demonic with their art, but they're going a lot more of the darker interpretations. Yes, yeah, he is able super to capture occult. that imagery, but also shows a value of the spirit of Christmas. This film at no time, I feel like, disrespects the spirit of Christmas time. Right. Like, it yeah, captures Jack, that magical feeling. Yeah, and Jack's also, heart is always in the right yeah, place. Yeah, while also always capturing that Halloween tone. Like I said, that's why it's so seasonal. I think it is so yeah. rewatchable because you could probably argue that really this is a movie that you feel like... This is one of those ones I always call seasonal movies based on when it would come on ABC Family. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. this is one of those ones that if you told me it started airing in September mm-hmm. and then stopped airing in like 
January. January. Makes all the sense in the world. But yeah. yes, that's why I define it as a Christmas movie, just because I feel like the Christmas is such the driving force in this movie mm-hmm. that like everything happens surrounded with Christmas right. in this movie. Now that we are nearly 40 minutes into this, let's let's talk about what happens in the movie. Yeah. Um, first off, opening number. Opening number's fantastic. Fantastic. Love this opening this number. Is ha- this is Halloween. Maybe my favorite opening number in a movie ever. It's like, a, straight it's up a, song. It's a perfect... Uh, so there's a there's like the I am song in in musicals. Mm. Uh, the establishing which, where it yeah, establishes the establishing world, the number or the I am number. Um, or no, yeah, you're right. The I am number is usually reserved for the villain, uh, but they, it can serve dual purposes. But it it shows you like this is where the movie's taking place. It gives you this great idea of the space of Halloween Town. It gives you a great idea of the denizens of Halloween Town, and the the camera movement is so crisp. It's, it's so fluid. It's which is insane for a stop motion. Yeah, image. and there are quite a few scenes like that where I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure they had motion control rigs. Oh, the, okay. This is something that I learned from Corridor Crew. Yeah. Um with these super smooth camera movements which they they use it all throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. They use motion control, which is basically when the camera's on this robotic system. Yeah. And you can move the camera out of the way, do whatever you want with the puppets, and then the robot rig moves the camera to exactly where it was before. It records all of those, um, uh, all of those coordinates, uh-huh. and with that, you can program the camera to move in and out super iteratively. Mm. And uh, you know the 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 amount of the amount of time that you need for interpolated frames which is where the camera kind of figure or where where whatever you're using kind of figures out what goes between frame x and frame y yeah uh so it's it's like insanely smooth you know what shocked me when i was re-watching this film because i rewatched it today mm-hmm. i you know i hadn't seen it in a few years mm-hmm. so i was kind of going in thinking like some of this isn't gonna look as good as i remember just because, you know, I've seen other films. Like, I was just re-watching Wallace and Gromit. Uh, the, not the Curse of the Were-Rabbit, but just one of their the trousers. The first, uh-huh, the first or one. the one where they go to the moon. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, as a kid, I love them. And I still enjoy them quite a lot. I like that, like, humor and just style of it. Mm-hmm. But it does show its age and its claymation. Same with, like, shows like, or movies like Chicken Run. Mm-hmm. And, like, even some of the later stuff going in. Yeah, where it's just all, like all Aardman. Like, you just kind of see that, like... The, the not pauses with the visuals, but there is kind of this like almost like lag feel to it at times, mm-hmm. where it's just like there's almost like a delay. Mm-hmm. What I was shocked watching this movie is how fluid it was. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, really I was, was watching it and I'm like, this aged perfectly. Like, there are not many scenes that I would honestly say have aged bad at all. I think this film just looks incredible today yeah it's it really does it stands the test of time i mean it's older than us at this point yeah it is um well i mean i i guess at every point in its um existence it It has been older than us yes (laughs) because it's from 1993 and we're from 97 uh oh yeah we're from late 90s yeah uh there i go again assuming our ages and dates and such um but yeah it's such this persistent timeless design um Everything's designed so interestingly, uh, and it's not—it's not based on 
it it doesn't pick a style that easily goes out of mm. style, you know, and which which sort of transitions into. I just really want to touch on Jack's design. Well, I mean, the character design as a whole. They're all fantastic. Grossly I love, brilliant. Like, I love Oogie Boogies. Yeah. I love the mare with his two heads. Yeah. Like, where it's the flip. I think that's such a cool, like, look to it. I'm only an elected official. I can't make decisions by myself. Yeah. Like, it all just looks really good. The snakes. Uh, obviously, Sally looks amazing. Mm-hmm. But Jack Skellington. Oh, my gosh. He's so cool. It changes up the typical sort of skeleton look. So you're kind of wondering, like, what what exactly is he? Is mm-hmm. he a skeleton? Is he some kind of spirit? Is mm-hmm. he some kind of ghoul? Is he someone who was dead and has, like, made a deal with the devil or something? And that's why he's so freakishly tall and mm-hmm. thin. He looks simultaneous, simultaneously uh, friendly and evil, which mm. kind of touches back on that um, style. Bird. Yeah, that line of of lightheartedness and and darkness. It's so he's so well balanced. It's yeah. awesome, and then just his movement, especially right before we see his full on reveal, where he comes out of the fountain and he's on fire with a pumpkin on his head and stuff. Yeah. The way that he moves is so like. This is going to sound super weird, but it's kind of hypnotic almost. He, yeah, dude, he moves like a pendulum. Totally agree. It has this like – it has like this cartoonish nature to the movement, right? But it totally works in tone with the film. Yeah. It's all it's all real manipulatable thing. Like at any – It feels tangible, right? Yeah, because it is. Yeah. It's, it's an actual thing. Like you could hold Jack Skellington Yeah, and that's hands. why when it poses like that, it like – totally feels real because it is like right. real. It's interacting. It's actually interacting with the things around it. Yeah, dude. I think everything with the design around Skeleton is fantastic mm-hmm. and specifically one of my favorite little shots in the film is right after he that opening number happens which again, probably my favorite scene in the movie. I love that opening number. I've, I can rewatch that opening number, number basically any day. Mm-hmm. Like as a kid it was my favorite thing in the world. I love that song going back and watching it's just incredible like just mm-hmm. the design of the characters the world getting introduced to everybody that aesthetic of Burton you know exactly what this film is right from where it starts you get the introduction of Jack jumping in on mm-hmm. fire into the water all this stuff it is so cool another thing you mentioned the fire mm-hmm. this will I think this is going to be the last time that I bring up Corridor Crew uh, uh, I learned something really cool about the fire effects yeah how they did the fire, because if you've seen the movie, uh, the the fire is looks like real fire. Yeah. Is it real fire? It is. Did they set the uh, mannequins on fire? No, they did not. Okay, that would have that would have been the extra mile. Uh, so the way that they did it is they first shot and photographed the scene with everything except the fire, so it's mm-hmm. just blank torches. Uh and the it's it's basically a in camera practical version of the screen effect mm-hmm. in, in that you would use in Premiere or Photoshop. Yeah, like the screen blending mode. Mm-hmm. You know, where like nowadays we just do that with a click. Um, but what they did, they shot the scene with just unlit torches. Then they put a piece of paper over mm-hmm. each torch. 
Okay. And then turned off the lights and projected a little video of fire onto each of those oh, pieces of paper. Interesting. Okay. And reshot it. Yeah. Which probably ties in with the motion control rig, so they got the same sort of movements and yeah. such. Since the lights were off and the only light was the fire being projected, they double exposed the film. Yeah. So really, it's just as if the screen or if the original plate was below it and then you just kind of held fire up in front of your face. Mm. And that's what it, it's the same sort of thing. Yeah. And it's like full size fire. So it helps you kind of get a vision that this is a larger scale than it is too, which yeah, is something I just thought of. So I, that's such a cool thing. I love practical I love, effects. I love practical effects and I love when you can make something tangible with obviously real fire that makes it as tangible as it can be. Right. Like interacting in that environment. Yeah. What I there is one just shot that like blew me away and I've never caught it before. I've seen the movie, you know, mm-hmm. and I had never caught like what made this movie so special. Like obviously I know I like this movie, but while I was watching I'm like, what makes this movie just like wonderful to me? Mm-hmm. And there's this one scene where Jack is walking through the forest and the shadowing of his character as he moves and then like as the moon hits oh, him and you see the is shadow. Is this as he's approaching the doors? No, this is him walking through. Yes, I guess it would be that scene mm-hmm. where he's going through. And there's like the shadow from the moon hitting a part of the tree, but it's only part. And then some of it's hitting the snow reflecting with that white yeah. light. And it has oh, this like kind of glow yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's And he's walking, so it's such a brief thing. It's not like they linger on this, like, other scenes where it's like they want to clearly show the cinematography. It's Mm -hmm. just what the character... It's what the design for that movie looks like as he's walking. Yeah. It's such artistry. Like, Mm -hmm. it's such a beautiful scene for something that has no actual importance in the sense that he's just walking. Like, obviously, where he walks to is important, but just, like, him walking through this forest... You don't have to put that, like, yeah. look into it. But the fact that they do shows the craftsmanship of this. And one of the other It's another thing, thing that sells the scale. It right? is. Yeah. And one of the other things that works so well that, again, makes it feel tangible is the snow in, like, in the forest, oh, right? Oh, yes. Like, the snow everywhere. The is... snow everywhere. Uh, how a... Not... I don't want to say lazy because implying stop motion is lazy is not the truth. Mm-hmm. But... How you could have easily done it to get away with it would have just been having white mounds that kind of just like almost clay mounds, something that just kind of forms the shape of yeah, the Yeah, kind of what Rankin and Bass did for a lot of... Yeah. What gives it such a tangible feel is the dimension that the snow has and using glitter. Like the yeah. clear glitter on there makes it feel one more christmas like magic mm-hmm. but also specifically gives that snow a depth matches to it. matches the texture of real snow yeah so it feels like i said we've said the word tangible yeah. but that's where it's like okay this is no longer just like like you said those classic 70s like christmas like this feels like snow yeah and the and the sound design of course like Matt helps sell that as well. Like the snow is crunchy. Like the yeah. the crunchy sound of snow, I think is one of the most satisfying uh, sounds in that you could put in movies. Just that, like, like I'm sure that you can like perfectly hear that. That's one of those sounds that I can perfectly hear. Yeah, and I love in this forest scene as well. You can clearly see uh, Burton and the director and the whole crew. They're drawing influence. Not from just, like, films or anything. They're grabbing it from artists they grew up with, too. Mm -hmm. 
Like you can clearly see one of my favorite just designs is the forest where the lines on the floor, like those black and white stripes being used to kind of give the texture of the road. Mm -hmm. Such a simple like design. It's Mm -hmm. so, I, it's so, how do I, it feels very Van Gogh. I was, okay, I was just going to say that same thing. Like it has has that that Van Gogh kind of like texture that makes it feel more alive. Like yeah. it, it's so detailed while yet being like no you could detail. touch the screen and feel. Yeah, it, yeah. it feels like rough. Like it mm-hmm. almost feels like three dimensional because it's like jagged almost to yeah, it feel. Yeah, that's a that's a great like, way to put I it. I love how it's that the artistry, like I said, all in the background is great. The lines used there, you see like, uh, like I said, you see multiple artistic styles. I think you see a little bit of impressionism in there. Mm-hmm. There's some more photorealism. Uh, in there, which I would argue the snow. There's some more simplistic ones, and mm-hmm. there's obviously some more uh, pop. I, I'm blanking on the movement. The pop pop art, pop art, like mm-hmm. kind of that style from the '60s that emerges. Like, um, what's the not g- Pollock, but uh, Pollock? I think is that era. Uh, Wal- Warhol, Andy Warhol. Warhol, but who's the one who's doing the Campbell soup? Warhol. Yeah. Like, that's where, like, there are some, like, kind of photorealism looks. Mm-hmm. And then with that, there's also some realists. Like, you have, like, some of these characters that look more like a traditional Leonardo da Vinci's, like, uh, Mona Lisa. Like, there's yeah. all these kind of influences of art, which I think lends to the fact that this is a creative team coming together. Yeah, it's greater than some of its parts And they're all collaborating well. together. So it's like, how do we make our, my impressionist art style work with kind of your, like more modern and then you with your renaissance how do we get those all to collaborate in a way that is so cool i love that it blends all these different styles together and it all looks great it, it never feels like a mismatch and the scenes where it does feel like there's a lot going on it's because those characters are supposed to be a lot going on so they're kind of a mismatch in themselves yeah but it's never like it never looks bad mm-hmm. um all right let's i want to talk a little bit about the story because I did mention that it's one of the weaker aspects of this film. Mm. Um, There are certain songs that are weak aspects. For for every song that I think is weak, there's another song that just, like, completely hits it out of the park. Yeah, what are your three favorite songs in the movie? Um, My three favorite songs, in no particular order, I would say... Well, I think we would agree our favorite one's probably This Is Halloween. Yeah, I would say so. I think that's what I would I really say. like Sally's song. Okay. Um, I think it's just called Sally's song, right? It's called right? Sally's song, yeah. Uh, the, the changes in it are really neat. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, Boogie... Oogie Boogie's song. Yeah, Oogie Boogie's song. Uh, Love Because I'm the boogie man. Just like the the big band jazz, like... Wah, 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 he has is such like- a neat... Choice and the casino aesthetic for Boogie's Lair was genius. Yeah, dude. There's in the so words much. of in the words of Todd Howard, it just works. Yeah, dude. There's so much like Fantastic. musical style choices I love that Burton brings into his animation. Mm-hmm. I love uh, in Corpse Bride where they have that song "Remains of the Day," mm-hmm. that very like jazz feel to it. Just the mm-hmm. piano hidden, uh, very like Sinatra, like kind of the croaker. Yeah. This one, crooner, crooner, not the croaker. <laughs> yeah, the crooner style to it. Uh, for me, my three are pr- probably obviously the opening. This Ooh, is Halloween. Oh, uh, what's this is also great. What's this is my second. Mm-hmm. I love what's this, 
And then it's a tie for third with Oogie Boogie's song or uh, Kidnap the Santa Claus. Really? I love Kidnap the Santa Claus. Kidnap the Santa Claus is probably the most grating one for me. Really? I, I think it's maybe it's not because that like song is one that I listen to, mm-hmm. but I think that scene is so excellent. Like yeah, comedically, the, that scene is knocks it out of the park. Yeah. Yeah, there a lot of the like the That's visuals not of that Santa Claus. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so I'm terribly sorry for the inconvenience. <laughs> Which we haven't brought them up. Both the voice actors for Jack Skellington. Danny Elfman and as singing and Chris Sarandon. Are fantastic. Yeah. I love Chris Sarandon. I love his voice in this movie. It's no. such like it's feels the exact opposite of what you would think Jack Skeleton would sound like, right? Right. Like yeah. he has like this almost like proper way of talking about him. Yeah, and he feels respectable. Sort of, yeah, and sort of casual as well. Yeah. Um, he doesn't do the ooh like yeah. some of the like oogie you, boogies clearly yeah, doing the hole full, or the mares doing the hole. Yeah. You fully expect Jack Skellington to have a voice that is the same sort of tone as. Um, it's after he shot down. I can't remember the name of the song, but when he goes, I, Jack, the Pumpkin King, it's got like that bass to it and he, it almost it sort has of that like menace anger. To it yeah, too. that yeah. menace. You, fu- you fully expect him to sound like that the whole time, but he just sounds like, you know, Steve, your next door neighbor. He sounds really re- like respectful, kind. Yeah. It's like completely juxtaposed. Right. Well, juxtaposed yeah, he's, with, su- like, he's super nice to the people that he kidnaps. Yeah. Because he like he obviously doesn't want to hurt them. Because he tells Locks Lock Shock and Barrel not to bring him to Oogie Boogie. Yeah. Like make sure he's comfortable, please. Yeah. <laughs> like we're gonna bring you to the most yeah, it's comfortable like, place in town, <laughs> Oogie Boogies. <laughs> he, Jack said to make him comfortable, right? Yes, he did. <laughs> Haven't yeah. you ever heard of peace on Earth? No. There is so much wonderful in this movie, and. When I say this is a Christmas movie, it's because I think a lot of the magic is really captured in the what's this. Oh. Which is when we talked about earlier, which is the childlike wonder to Christmas. Everything everything about that number I love. What's this? What's this? There's missiles everywhere. Yeah. They kiss. How queer. (laughs) The The visuals of that song are fantastic. The way that things move are fantastic. Like when he jumps out of the snowman and it just kind of falls apart. Yeah. It's got this granular feel to it, but it's also got this liquid. It goes back to, I mean, we talked about the snow already and how amazing it looks, but it's so cool. And like the modern computers, like modern computer graphics are like just now able to make that look really good. Those yeah. granular physics. Man, it, I, it's so, I, I, and I just the color of it is so different from the grays and browns. Because it's, it's such a brilliantly timed juxtaposition between those yeah. two scenes where it's so jarring to look at that mm. it's so wonderful as well with that. I think in particular what I love about this number is the, I think what I'm talking about, that childlike wonder that this scene has, it's that feeling of, how odd of a thing Christmas must be to somebody who's never experienced it. Because, like, Mm -hmm. Halloween, you get the idea of, like, maybe being scared of something, Mm -hmm. putting on a costume, like, that's just clothes, essentially. Like, eating candy. This, it's like, he's like, they're just, like, handing out these, like, presents that are just, like, wrapped, and it's like, there's nothing to it. It's just, like, a gift. Or, like, 
why are they hanging like this mistletoe and they kiss under it? Or like, yeah, what are these all these like traditions of Halloween? Like the gingerbread men, the snowman, they're f- throwing snowballs at each other. What is like, what is this? Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of like emotion connected to it, and it's probably a lot of emotion that Jack doesn't get a lot of as the pumpkin king. Yeah. Like, like you know, I said, joy and, I mean, peace I on l- earth. You I know. love this scene. Like I said, I just love the scene for what it captures and the spirit of it. And I think it... I Probably think this, all around one of the best scenes in the yeah, film. I think Technically, this, is, Tim this is Halloween is the best. But I think Tim, this is Tim Burkin's moment to like kind of just like just cherish like the Christmas feel. Yeah. Like this, it feels magical in that scene. Mm-hmm. That's what I love about the, uh, what's this? I think it's, like I said, it's a great number. Yeah. Uh, some few complaints now, even even when the first time that I was going to complain about the story a little bit, it turned into me just complimenting it again. Mm. Um, the, the, there's, Jack's arc for me is a tough one because throughout the film, his heart is in the right place he just it's just clear that he has bitten off more than he can chew Mm -hmm. there's just a lot that he doesn't understand like he wants he wants to help sandy he wants to help halloween like this the denizens of halloween town he wants to help people around the world he just it's so above his he's so out of his element so above his station and by the end of the film it's kind of unclear as to what he learns, aside from, aside from kind of, now he's happy with what he had before, but now he also has Sally as well, um, and then that's the other aspect that's a little weird. I just wish there was more of Jack and Sally being. I wish that too. Yeah, Sally's like utilized well as herself, and Jack's utilized well together they're Mm kind of just their relationship it doesn't come out of nowhere yeah but it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like the movie is about their relationship as much as you would expect this movie as far as far as sally is concerned her getting with jack at the end is so earned oh yeah it's so earned but jack getting sally on the other hand doesn't feel as doesn't feel as earned I, yeah. don't, I don't know why and I don't know how much would have to be done in order to make it feel that way. But it's like it's almost there. It's you know almost it there for me. It's this it's that idea where you were describing where this is based on a poem written by Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. This film has a very poetic feel to it in its story where it's like it doesn't feel fleshed out. It's almost imagery and the broad strokes of like something. So you can kind of infer your own kind of like uh poetic meaning to this story yeah that's what it feels like to me that's a fair because i get it like this movie's only an hour and 15 so it's a short movie and i Mm -hmm. mean if you're including credits and like the songs like specifically like the opening number like there's a lot of this movie where it's like one of that was one thing that shocked me i don't remember it being this song heavy like i did not remember it having this many songs i knew there were there's a lot of music in it it's almost it's a musical. Like, I don't yeah, say oh, call full, it a musical. Yeah, full on. I there, I think I think it's there's quite a few forgettable songs I would say because they're forgettable because they blend so, so seamlessly. Much. Well, yeah, they 
they blend so much with other songs. Like Making Christmas Time and This Is Halloween are basically the same song. Yeah, um, and I the think... Same, same strong, same song musically speaking. Lyrically yeah. and thematically, obviously not. It's totally, it's totally different, but it's all, it also makes narrative sense. It's like, it's still all Halloween Town knows is Halloween, so of mm-hmm. course they're singing about Christmas in this weird discordant minor key. Of course it, it, of course. Yeah. I think like with the music in particular, what I like about the style of this musical is it's not simply song, stop, song, stop, like dialogue, song, dialogue, Mm -hmm. song. They kind of flow it all together where it's like song, dialogue, a little bit of a song goes back to dialogue in the middle of the song, back to song, like doing it all like it feels a little bit more cohesive where it's not a musical in the sense that it's just like this song. Now the story. Now back to the music. This everything is way is, more everything flowing. Everything is connected, like, yeah. It feels like, almost like Hamilton where there's no, like, stopping mm-hmm. of, there's, like, three spoken words that have no music behind it. Right. This feels very similar. And it's in those similar. intensely emotional moments. Yeah, this feels really similar where there's not a lot of time where there's not, like, kind of this, up, not upbeat, but this kind of beat to the movie. Like this... Yeah, 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 yeah. I, a lot of it comes from that music. And yeah, Danny Elfman's score is fantastic. Yeah, one of the one of the downsides of that, and this is sort of minor. Um, there, there are some times where the sound design, like the F, like the sound effects, uh-huh. don't quite seem loud enough. Uh, I, oh, I had a I had a perfect example of one of the scenes that does this, but I I can't remember what it is now. Uh, but it kind of leaves you where no one's really talking and there's like stuff happening um, where you hear just enough of the sound, but it's mostly music. So it's kind of it's kind of weird to kind of figure out, like, am I watching like a scene that I really need to pay attention to? Or am I watching a montage? Mm. But that's that's a really minor complaint. Yeah. It didn't it didn't. It didn't pull me out of the movie at all. Yeah. I just kind of noticed it once, and I was like, "Oh, that's interesting." Um, I do. There are a couple <laughs> questions that. I, okay, I've got some. I've got some good things, and I've got some bad things. Okay, uh, we and we can kind of interject if you. Yeah, or yeah. You can kind of interject if you want to. Uh, one of the great little details that I love is the band. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of like really seamless blending of diegesis or like diegetic sound, diegetic mm-hmm. music, where it just kind of blends into the film score. Yeah, but it starts with them playing. Agreed. I think that I think the music all in this is pretty fantastic. Yes. Danny Elfman's score is just so from scene to scene as the visuals are kind of mm-hmm. like flawless. So is the music. Yeah. It's, it almost feels like one full piece. Yeah, it does. That's what it is. It's it doesn't like an feel hour, like hour fifteen minute. Exactly, it feels like one music. Mm-hmm. Um, the band also plays like really discordant notes when Jack is trying to teach them how to play Jingle Bells. Yeah, which is super funny. It they play really, it like a. Yeah. Dir- In fact, the the subtitles say "band plays dirge version of Jingle yeah. Bells" or something like that. Um, and then later on. They're playing Here Comes Santa Claus, but it's in the relative minor key. So it's the same. They're playing it in the same key as Here Comes Santa Claus, but all the majors are minors. Yeah. So, (laughs) which is super funny. It's like even even when they're playing joyous music that they know how to play, they can't help but do it 
in a minor key that just has a little twinge of discord in it. Mm. It's so funny. Um, one of the, this isn't even a bad detail. It's just kind of like the, the heck, like it makes sense with his, his character. Um, why does Oogie Boogie tickle a mysterious lady's leg, a mysterious lady legs feet on first instinct? Like I know he's a bad guy, but that's super weird, right? It's a little weird. I'm, I'm, I I definitely wouldn't do that myself. No. But I mean, I'm also not a big burlap sack monster made out of bugs. Dude, so Oogie Boogie's design in this movie, all the designs for all the characters are amazing. There's something so like, <laughs> the, he has this. He has a presence literally because he's so big. Yeah. And he has like where you're talking like skeleton doesn't talk the way we'd expect him to. Yeah. Oogie Boogie talks exactly how yeah. you think he. Uh, you're gotcha. joking. Yeah. You're joking. He talks like what you would expect a guy named Oogie Boogie who looks like that. Yeah. To sound like there's literally no other voice that you would expect to come out of that mouth brand. How he exactly so. Yeah, I he's a great like perfectly voice casted. Yeah, and it's not like the sense of like is his villains arc particularly memorable? No. Is there really anything to that character? No. It's just that that character works so well in the story that they're telling mm-hmm. that it's just I think it's so charming. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah, he kind of goes down like a wuss. Yeah, doesn't he? I always remembered him more of a th- being more of a threat. No, he's not. He's just he's not a menace in this movie. It's just that Oogie Boogie himself is such a big presence that he feels menacing. Right, by size, size yeah, alone. I, I remembered him. I, I, I just wish that he had kind of been established early on as Jack's nemesis or something. So we kind of had this feeder. Like we see a silhouette of him in the moon. But there's no, yeah, there's no, there's no significance to it because it's everyone just kind of spouting off like, here's the monster I am. Here's the monster I am. Uh, I think it's because he's not the part, he's not really instrumental to the movie, right? No, I suppose suppose he's not. To kidnap, not kidnap, but to kind of torture Santa Claus in that sense. Yeah, I wish he'd been set up though as Jack's like nemesis or something because he does mention like, keep him away from that good for nothing Oogie Boogie's house or something like that. And it's like, I wish we knew exactly what 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 their type of relationship is because I don't think they really We don't really get an idea of it They don't share screen time until the very end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Can I tell you one little detail yeah. that I uh, love, love, love about this movie? Do it. It is the scene where he's taking off uh, in Santa's sled. Mm-hmm. One, I love the costume design of Jack Skeleton dressed as, as Santa. Uh, Santa Claus. Yeah. They have it all over the haunted. You mean Sandy Claus. Yes. They have it all over uh, the haunted mansion uh, mm-hmm. for the ride for Disneyland mm-hmm. when it's Christmas season. And, like, it's the very front of the ride. You see, like, him as uh, Santa Claus. Uh-huh. Love just the look of it. I think it's such a fun little, like, just look of it. Yeah, it's But it's more cool. specifically when uh, Zero lights up his nose. Yeah. And it is – I was thinking about this because I was – I drove this morning and it was really foggy out. Like, crazy foggy out. Well, when, I, when I commute to work for, two like, two hours in the morning – it's always super foggy. It I was, was thinking about that too. It was when I watched that scene. It was kind of like jaw dropping to me. Like, oh my god, they captured the look and lighting of fog so perfectly. Like yeah, his they nose, really did. like his nose looks exactly like what it 
what it looks should like look. when yeah. a headlight, like a car in there, its headlights are coming towards you. Yeah. Like it has this like kind of faintness to it, but it's also like jarring bright. Yeah. And like overly yellow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it works really well. Like I was kind of just like, it's those little details that I talked about earlier, but mm-hmm. it's that scene where I'm just like, God, they know like that aesthetic so well yeah. to capture that look specifically. You know, now I'm kind of wondering how they did the fog because the fog moves the same way that fog should move. Can I tell you how real- the theory? It's a yeah, fog machine. I right, but it's all stop motion. You would think that if they were capturing the fog in camera, it would it would stutter along sort of at the same pace as stop motion. But it kind of flows more. Right. It flows like fog does. Could, what you would do then is you'd have it shot on a regular camera, right? And then input that image of the regular fog moving into the stop motion, m- right? My thought would be playback, would be playback, and then they play fog in between you know, a monitor that's displaying the movie, and then they're just filming it with a rig that's specifically designed to record from a screen, and then play yeah, fog over pro- that. Yeah, your way's really probably more close to accurate. This is when I tell you I know nothing about video editing. Uh-huh. I know nothing because I'm like, in my head, I'm like, okay, if I had to capture fog, but something's you know moving in stop motion, how would I do it? Okay, I'd record just fog, be, yeah. and then I would just take that video of the fog and put it over my movie Mm -hmm. i don't i don't know if they would have done something like a screen i actually i don't know but here's i don't know if they could have done a screen mode here's the question how did they because it's clearly interacting with zero's nose and because i think that i think that fog has to be real because i think at least to some degree yeah because that lighting is it do they do it the same way they do the fire I, I don't know if they, they might could do because, it kind of similar because smoke is kind of or fog and smoke is kind of this half transparent thing. Yeah. Fire fire you can sort of get away with because you can kind of color it in. Yeah. I don't. Oh, would you do I fire? don't know. That's Maybe a, they did do it the same way that they did the fire, where they just shot, where they just turned off the lights and and underlit the fog or something yeah, like that? Yeah, because it is specifically, that fog is interacting with that light. Maybe they, oh, you know what they might have done? What? Um, oh, I don't remember what the rig is called, but it's uh, it's it's like parallax sort of filming where there's multiple layers of the background. So they've got like a background matte painting and then they've got background elements and then they've got a layer of fog and then they've got foreground elements and then they have the fog in the front. Mm. It's sort of, it's almost like a sandwich, really, with like matte painting, which is like the way background. Yeah, it's hard to explain auditorially, but is, visually, visually, it makes a lot of sense. It's how they used to do old cartoons, where yeah. where different panes of things, different layers of the cartoon would move at different rates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that same sort of thing. Would they? Be able to do it like actually just the simple way of it is completely stop motion in the sense that they just put fog on and the lights on his nose already so it interacts and you just do it seamlessly. Maybe, or is it but just the like problem is, is there too much stuttering? The problem is the fog. The fog keeps moving even when you stop the camera and repose your figures. But is that an issue? I don't know. Like I don't know if that I, could you trap the. You fog? know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna do my darndest and try to figure out how they did the fog. Could you? Could you move the fog? Like, could you trap it in, like, a setting? So, like, almost put a box around it. That way it makes sure the fog is always kind of moving, like, 
I don't squarely, know. It would like still, maybe even have a fan. Like it would still dissipate. I don't know. This is a. This is a. We're trying to like sleuth it out live. Yeah. Well, I, someone know, who knows something yeah, about video editing. Yeah. Like just even, trying to think of the techniques. So like if I had to do that, even me, what would who be kind the of who kind of has a general idea of how I would do it, plus a lot of watching Corridor Crew. Yeah. I'm just I, thinking I, like, like have my as, theories, but. As a director, if we were like filming this on set, because yeah. that's where I—that's where my knowledge kind of comes in. Not as a director, but more of like, okay, this is like the style I want. How mm-hmm. could we capture an idea? Because a lot of like, it's crazy how much of visual effects is actually just improvis- improvisation. Yeah. Like, just truly, like, we need to get this to work. Yeah. How do we capture this? And a lot of it is just like, also with sound a lot. Yeah. Sound well, crazy is just like. Yeah, if we get these two things together. Will it sound like this? Yeah. Like, what noise will this make? It's a lot of trial and error. Like, will yeah. two will clacking two coconut shells together sound like a horse, horse. galloping? Exactly. And it does. It does. Uh, but it's it sort of harkens back to that classic phrase of like constraints breed creativity. Yeah. Where it's like if you have if you have to work within a, within certain parameters that can't be changed, like. Obviously, you're going to have to come up with creative solutions, and obviously they did. This movie's a this movie's a testament to coming up with creative solutions because it's since it's not fully animated, you don't have a complete you don't there's, have some level of total control over how something works. Some that are so crazy to me, uh, the mayor's head. The yeah. fact that it is constantly has to be in motion blur. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like. They make it a point. It's not like Two Face or like even like in the Lego movie where they switch the heads. Mm-hmm. His head is always rotating in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like that means they have to have a constant form of some sort of motion blur hitting him because his head's always in motion. Yeah. Oh, is there motion blur on him? I don't know. If it would have to assume it's motion blur because it's movement, and you'd have to show motion blur on movement, right? It depends. It depends how how you're capturing. Like if you if you have a high shutter speed, it's not going to capture as much motion blur. But I, well, that doesn't but really make sense. But it's moving though, because motion blur always captures. I thought the idea of motion blur is it captures. Yeah, I'm thinking of photo. With video, yeah, you'll always have at least have, some form of yeah. blur or some some. And the fact s- that you achieve that in claymation, because in uh, how you do it now in animation is there's for the smear most part, frames. Yeah, there's smear frames, and the fact that there's an insert motion blur. <laughs> like yeah, like yeah, it doesn't do it perfectly. Yeah, but it does get a. It's always kind of that starting base. This one you don't have that starting base in there. Yeah, that's like, a good man. There are some. Well, we gotta. That's figure, like that's I, I'm like, still so stuck on how they did the fog. Yeah, that's what I like, when I was looking at this movie. It's like what was driving me like, kind of just like crazy, just like watching it because I was like, a movie like Flushed Away or Chicken Run that we already talked about, like. Mm-hmm. They're very simplistic designs by nature because they have to capture, you know, the claymation field of walls and grommet. They have to capture these looks. This movie does not do that. This movie is like, how are we going to capture certain movements at all time? Like, how are we going to basically make this the hardest thing in our lives to do? Because <laughs> there's no way this movie's easy to make. Right. This yeah, movie no was tedious. You can just tell right away from the animation that, like, the thought and process that was going in. Mm-hmm. One, because it's groundbreaking because you hadn't seen a film like this. Two, because it's so detailed. Like, there's so much detail that other guys... Like, when you look at Chicken Run, they ignore some of that detail. Like, a lot of their outfits are really just, like, shades of brown or orange. Right. This one is like, okay, 
Mr. Mayor is going to have like these elaborate pockets. The suit's going to be stitched and you're going to clearly see the stitches and buttons. But like a button's kind of falling off. The hat's like crooked and it looks like it's kind of beaten in because it's been worn out. Like those are insane details to me. Yeah, I man, I got it. I want to look into that and see. I just did try to do a quick search on like how they did the fog. Yeah, because I'm so stuck on that. It's oh man, that's so interesting. I well, let's email them after this. We can email them. Yeah, let's, let's see if we can. Get let's anything. do it. A, let's give it a try. We could yeah. email. Um, what's his name? Henry Selleck? Not Henry. Selleck. I was talking about the quarter crew. <laughs> oh yeah, I, we could email them too. I, we they could probably in theory contact some of the animators you could find the animators online and oh for out, sure like, for sure email fairly easy um all right i think uh is there anything else that you wanted to add about no Nightmare i think Before it's Christmas? a really beautiful movie that is poetic in nature and captures the spirit of both halloween and christmas in a way that does justice to both but is also fun that kids can enjoy it but adults are also going to specifically enjoy it it mm-hmm. is a blend of a lot of different art styles themes literature movies pop culture really kind of just coming together in this really elaborate cool and unique way that has never quite been copied since Mm -hmm. and will i think stand the test of time for decades and years to come i really don't see this film losing its lexicon kind of like where snow white is like 1937 i think and it's still snow white this movie does that same thing where it's just like i guarantee you in 50 years people will still be watching the nightmare yeah, still gonna Christmas. be a, still gonna be a classic and like i said it's tim burton influenced me crazy growing up uh for his art style and for everything and uh this movie is i think it's not my favorite and again he doesn't direct it but it's not my favorite tim burton production mm-hmm. but it is certainly one of the most influential movies i've seen in my life yeah i you you pretty much said everything that i i would have said it's a great blend of holiday i think it's slightly more halloween than christmas but it is definitely a christmas if you watch this during christmas i go for it yeah that's totally you're it's fair if you watch it during easter or valentine's day ah, maybe you could watch during valentine's day i don't know if you watch it during like memorial day yeah that's a that's probably an issue it's a little weird um I get the last thing that I wanted to say, uh, when Jack defeats Boogie and says, how dare you treat my friends so shamefully mm-hmm. great before the kill line. Yeah. That's such a good line. Um, other than that, that's nightmare before Christmas. Wonderful I guess. movie. Brilliant, brilliantly animated, super creative, wonderful music, just artistry artistry yeah it is art come to life yes and with ben, that it is time for what is it time for our cl- our classic the the ben and brand special what's that thing we call it again the great ladies and gentlemen welcome that to the great debate Goblins and ghouls of all kind, we gather here and the Ben and Branson Palace to discuss what is the Christmas movie of this year and debate it. So how this is going to work is you and I are going to ask each other questions. They can be Christmas related or not. And we will have to come up with answers. And the one who wins gets 
presents under their Christmas tree <laughs> and the ones that doesn't get coal. Are you ready to boogie boogie? I always wonder if you know exactly what you're going to say. Yeah, the only part I know is the ladies and gentlemen, welcome (laughs) to the great debate. Yeah. Do you know I've seen the guy who does it for UFC do it live in person, Uh and he does it for every round. To me, it's like that's the craziest job in the world. Like Like, improv it. I don't think he improvs it, but just like, oh my god, like. My voice would die after like two rounds. Like he does it like with such. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah, you probably have to go to a championship of the world. Like you, you gotta, crazy. you gotta have specific classes yeah. for being a, a doing that for carnival like, barker, for being a uh, an auctioneer, or for being a UFC announcer. Yeah. Those Dude, are the three. Doing that for twenty seconds takes my voice out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's why I usually try to get you to go first so you kind of catch a breather. <laughs> yeah, take yeah, take a break. Uh, well, I will go first yeah. this time. Uh, ben, yeah. If you had to replace the soundtrack mm-hmm. in Nightmare Before Christmas with any other film or uh, play or otherwise some sort of soundtrack, what would it be? Switcheroo. Why is it the soundtrack? To the classic stage play and now film, Cats. Okay, easy. Uh, have you seen the play Cats? I've seen enough of it to have a good Not idea. Not the movie, the play. Yes, okay. I have. I, I, Cats. Uh, I've seen I've seen commentary of the nineteen ninety whatever. Okay, the Andrew Lloyd Webber version. I well, yeah, I mean Andrew that's Lloyd who writes it. Yeah, Andrew Lloyd Webber so, wrote it. Let's get into what Cats is, because I've seen it in person. I saw Cats live. Did you Broadway. enjoy it? No, I did oh. not. Wait, Here- hang on. They heard the word cats. <laughs> I guess so. Okay, I've given the guinea pigs a carrot, so now they're placated, and now we yeah, won't now have to back. hear them weaking all over the place. So, so yeah, cats. defend. Yeah, why, Easy. Why, do, why do you want to replace the soundtrack for Nightmare Before Christmas with cats? Easy, tonally. It makes sense. What is Cats at the root of it? It's a horror show. <laughs> it okay. is horrifying. Yeah. But what does it have the one redeeming quality of, of that entire production? Memory? Memory. Right. That's Sally's song right there. That's like kind of the moment where she gets the time to shine. Otherwise, like, like I said, there's something weird that captures the aesthetic of cats because cats is a very weird idea like grown humans but the sets are like bigger than them like it's this really weird aesthetic and i mean if you're talking weird aesthetic like tim burton's kind of the expert of weird aesthetic. side note the 2019 version would have been a thousand times better if you just let tim burton do it guarantee in my mind there's no way that movie isn't at least more interesting i, I think, can't say more interesting that movie's Steven- pretty interesting already. I think Steven Spielberg's animated version would have been better. I don't think there's any version that would have been really good. Yeah, but at least a... Tim Burton could have like done something, I guess. It's kind of but... it's kind of like trying to empty the Titanic with yeah. a, with a pail. What it's like what you can't, works? It's not going to work. What works is this kind of weird aesthetic that it brings to the film like can this weird horror show where it is like I mean, can't you imagine those creatures from the cats play? being in Halloween Town already. Like, can't you just pick up... I am the cat that hangs out at the tree. Yeah, I am James... I am the cat that's in the dumpster. Hang on. I am James Corden. (laughs) 
sentence. End sentence. <laughs> I thought you were going to do the no, no. Ricky Gervais joke. Um, no, I, I really wanted to. I, 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 knew knew I really wanted to do the James I knew Corden. you did. I knew yeah. you did. But no, it's just like you can't see James Corden already being in Halloween Town. Like it's a nightmare. It's a pretty scary aesthetic place to be in already. Him and Rebel uh, Wilson like licking themselves. Like terrifying. I am the cat that's way too fat. Yeah. Like I said. I am the cat that. I, I, what a, can you imagine that mice? What cats are there? Can you imagine that mouse scene? Or, sorry, that ant scene mm-hmm. in from the movie in the world of Halloween Town? Tell me that doesn't just transform that into the scariest thing you've ever seen. Yeah, that like, does. Like, there is some... I'm making up so badly here to, like, try to get anything out of this. <laughs> it is really that the fact is this is... Memory is the only thing. Memory could suit for Sally. It works actually fairly well. It actually, like... Nothing. It fits actually fairly well with her character, yeah. like the Song of Memory. Nothing else helps. Uh, if I had to make another argument for it, it is simply that it would now be a definitive Halloween movie. If yeah. you straight, if you added straight horror, straight horror film. So it ends the debate, and this yeah. world has enough conflict in it. Uh, <laughs> if you're a Democrat, if you're a Republican, we can all agree. The Nightmare Before Catsmas would be <laughs> horrifying. <laughs> Good Lord, I hate you. Nightmare You're not getting a Christmas gift this year. You're not uh, getting anything this I'm year. I'm so glad that I thought of that, and then I was like, oh, switcheroo, yeah. yes. I, I barely used Yeah, don't it. worry. I'll be nice to you. Okay, go week. ahead. I'll be nice. Maybe I won't use my switcheroo. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You'll save it for a really 1993 spicy. Schindler's List won the best <laughs> picture Oscar. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's really good. That's <laughs> I think it's actually 92. I don't remember. One of those two years. All right. Okay, what is no, your my, great debate, sir? My great your, debate your question. question is different. It, <laughs> but it's similar, actually. It's actually very similar, oh. just not as mean. Okay. If you had to get one artist, Danny Elfman obviously does the score for this movie, uh, but if you had to get one just artist of any sorts, not not composer, I mean like specifically like a band mm-hmm. or a singer or something like that, to compose the score for The Nightmare Before Christmas. They don't have to like sing all the songs and all this. They're just the ones that fit aesthetically well with this movie or however you interpret that. Which band are you putting in in lieu of Danny Elfman. I mean, my first thought was kind of a meme answer, which was Toto, because they did all the music for 1984 Dune. Um, but that's not my actual answer. Yeah, it's just uh, can't be. I, I kind of a real answer might be Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. I was thinking Nine Inch Nails. There was yeah, a part Nine of me Inch that Nails. kind of thought Nine Inch Nails, too. Um, I also thought Marilyn Manson, and he's also done, he also did a cover of This Is Halloween. Yeah. But I don't particularly like that cover. Marilyn no. Manson. And I don't particularly like that cover either. Yeah. He's done better covers. Uh, yeah. He sounds like he's, it sounds like he's infirmed. Yeah. Like he, like he's, he has like a thermometer in his mouth the entire time. Um, yeah, I, Trent Reznor and Atticus not Ross, I can I can't like thought like one they're in that era. Yeah. They do work with music like in movies very frequently. Mm-hmm. I had I'm trying to think of other like composers that are sort of macabre. I had a zig to it. Cuz okay. they're not composers in the sense that like I don't think they've ever done a musical score. 
Yeah, I was, for musicals, yeah. I had this vision of Ozzy Osbourne and Black Sabbath. Ooh, Because, okay. one, Black Sabbath has a I Am Santa Claus song, which, again, it's kind of a parody of, like, I Am Iron Man, but it's not bad. <laughs> it's a good, Santa like, little, Claus. like, rock Christmas song. Yeah, it's like that. That's funny. But, like, one, the aesthetics there. Black Sabbath music is pop culture enough that it wouldn't be like the issue I have with Nine Inch Nails is there's a very okay that's when they're in the 90s like when I'm thinking Nine Inch Nails Mm -hmm. they're very much like a darker tone like it's almost a little too dark for this yeah Uh, with Black Sabbath you know I Am Iron Man War Pigs like it has this like rock sensibility to it that I think people would enjoy Mm -hmm. and it fits that era not fits that era but I think it kind of fits that tone the other one I thought of was Alice Cooper straight up Alice Cooper I'm the man in the box yeah I think that could be oh no that's Alice in Chains (laughs) that is Alice in Chains no Alice Cooper is Welcome to My Nightmare yes and School's uh, School's Out yeah School's Out yeah him I think that could work Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think if there's any other artists. 1993, Nirvana's out there. Do you pick Nirvana? Ooh. Do you pick Kurt Cobain with Nirvana? I don't know if I do. Uh, that's it's hard, right? That's kind of a wild card. I don't know. This is a, That's an interesting question. Yeah, because Prince did 1989's Batman. Mm-hmm. I don't think that would work. That's Tim Burton as well. Yeah. Well, probably I, here's, here's a good question that's sort of... Who would be the worst one to pick? The worst artist of all time to, like, pick... The worst artist as far as fitting into the the mood of Nightmare Before Christmas. My thought was Alan Menken because he does all the music for, like, Little Mermaid, which is not even close. I was trying to think of somebody who would, like, technically, aesthetically fit in there, but wouldn't actually be a good fit. And I'm trying to come up with their name desperately. Their 90s... Limp Biscuit. <laughs> I did it for the nookie. The nookie. The nookie. Could you imagine how much better that uh, This Is Halloween opening would be? And all the fellas <laughs> and all the skeletons and all the ladies who all named Sally to the werewolves, <laughs> to the zombies, and to the creatures that don't give a... F- <laughs> In the same vein, it's like Rage Against the Machine. All the rockers, machine. all the vampires... <laughs> If you won't take him to Boogie, if you won't take him to Boogie. Oh, my oh wait, gosh. Rage Against the Machine, like, has a little hunk to them. Pearl Jam would be an interesting one. Ooh. Pearl Jam's yeah. not. No, too, too distinct. <laughs> Trent Reznor's not a bad answer, because my head also automatically went Nine Inch Nails Trent Reznor. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, the last movie I saw them on, mm-hmm. where I, like, think of it, like, we'd, when we did Seven... Closer yeah. is so totally opposite of what this movie is. Closer right. is so dark. Yeah, I'm thinking more of their composer. Because, no, yeah, I mean, you're thinking com- more of their They composer. composed Soul. Yeah, they did. It's like, it, I mean, if you strike a balance between Closer and Soul. Yeah. That's fair. I have something. Nirvana is an interesting one. Nirvana is the one, like, I'm going to be cheering yeah. on the next few days and think, like, would that work? Could Nirvana do it in that era? Yeah. We're breaking new ground We're here. We're breaking new ground. All right. Uh, thanks for listening, folks. Whoa. 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 Thanks for listening, folks. Man, it got it got me so choked up. Yeah. That I that I almost belched yeah. into the and, mic. Yeah. Uh, and guys, if you uh, make sure for next week, 
if you give us the highest listen count for next week's episode, Branson will get his wings. Wow. He'll be a real angel. I was going to say, I'll be a real boy. (laughs) Pinocchio never got wings. Thanks for listening. Follow us on socials. They're in the description. Follow Beniverse on Twitter, Instagram. Follow my new YouTube channel, which we're doing 25 days of Advent or Advent calendar, 25 days of movie reviews, all movies that are 2021. I'll give the spoiler for the next few days. I have already done The Suicide Squad. Spencer, tomorrow is going to be He's All That. And I know oh. I have Eternals in there, and I know I have uh, a few others in there. Again, they're all 2021 releases. I believe I have Free Guy in there somewhere this week. And uh, the documentary, The Velvet Underground, will also be in this week. Ooh. I don't know what I've got going on. I'm sort of like Josh. I've got a media, uh, uh, not a very active social media presence. Yeah. I posted my Spotify wrapped. Actually, that wasn't even on my on Bind Media. That was on my personal account, which I'm not going to give out here. One more artist before we leave. I just thought of it because the Velvet Underground. Uh-huh. Lou Reed. Lou Reed of uh, Hey Girl, Walk on the Wild Side. I said, oh, hey, okay, honey. He does the a lot of the soundtrack in Train Spotting's him. Okay, has a little bit maybe. Just trying to get that feel right. <laughs> all right. That's my last point. So, yeah, follow, follow me on YouTube so for all choices. that exciting so many choices uh, stuff. That. Like I said, I'm really enjoying this. And tomorrow, or I guess when you're listening today, is He's All That Star and Addison Ray. Oh, my goodness. And I, I'm excited. Have you noticed I've been doing clues for each of my things? You sure have. Did you get the one today? Uh, Let me read this no. before we go because I'm really proud of this one and I need to make sure people hear it. Because I spent so much time trying to think of a clue. Oh, yes, I did get it. That it, is good. It was... Hint for tomorrow's review. After being publicly humiliated, a high schooler watches as her career TikToks away. To rehabilitate, <laughs> to rehabilitate her image, she accepts the hardest task yet. And for Spencer, which is the Kristen Stewart movie, mine's was another good one. Uh, hint for tomorrow's review The film follows a woman in the twilight of her marriage <laughs> I'm gonna It's gonna be really interesting When I try to get into like Velvet Underground Or like Yeah how are like, you gonna The Cinderella 2021 movie is another review I have coming out If you like, need any how help How the heck do I just start coming up with like clues for that If you Y'all need any help you, I got you So yeah take care guys Thanks yeah. for listening See you next week Bye bye Merry Christmas